The deployment of central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, may pose risks to banks. Tommaso Mancini Grifoli, the International Monetary Fund's Deputy Division Chief in the Monetary and Capital Markets Department, talks to Business World reporter Keisha Taasan about why the Banco Central of Pilipinas needs to prepare to deploy such virtual currencies. So my first question would be, the central bank or the Philippine central bank is working on um, CBDC. Right now, Mr. Medalla, our governor, said that uh, the central, the BSP is undertaking preparatory measures to launch CBDC. So what exactly is CBDCs and what are the potential benefits it has on a country? We can distinguish really between two kinds of CBDCs. So there's the retail version and the wholesale version. So the retail version is available to you and I, uh, households and firms, uh, to facilitate transactions. And the wholesale version is available to uh, financial sector players, typically banks, but potentially also uh, non-banks. So we can speak about uh, both, if you'd like. The uh, retail version, you can think of the retail version as really just a digital version of uh, the cash of the notes and coins that you hold in your physical leather wallet, uh, you might hold in your digital uh, phone-based wallet. Uh, of course, there's a big difference, though, and that is that cash is entirely anonymous. You can make any transaction uh, and nobody will know, whereas uh, central banks are taking a more cautious approach to CBDC. Clearly, central banks don't want to facilitate criminal activity, but they do want to uh, respect people's legitimate desire for privacy. There may be a perfectly natural reason to require privacy, such as uh, I want to surprise my wife with a gift and I would like her not to see the credit card statement ahead of time. Uh, so, so I would like some level of privacy. So central banks are going at this uh, carefully. But uh, essentially, CBDC it can, be, it can have multiple benefits to society. One, from the standpoint of the central bank, it can uh, facilitate resilience of the payment system and market discipline. So what do I mean by that? Um, the payment systems are increasingly in the hands of the private sector, often large companies, uh, sometimes foreign companies. And these companies can interrupt services. Uh, these uh, companies can decide to perhaps leave a country. And uh, uh, there can also be cyber attacks and other such events that might interrupt services. So it's important for the public sector to put out an alternative, alternative rails to make payments, and CBDC could serve that purpose. Also, by offering uh, high-quality and low-cost services, it disciplines the market to offer equivalent quality and price. But of course, it can also improve financial inclusion. So a lot of our payments are intermediated right now by commercial banks, but there are a lot of people who don't have bank accounts because they live in areas uh, that are difficult to service by physical uh, bank branches. And um, CBDC can be used by these people to make payments and eventually to access other financial services. So it can improve financial inclusion. It might also improve uh, innovation because CBDCs can be embedded in financial applications and even social applications. You might be able to pay a friend through a messaging app but all of that infrastructure that is going to be built on top of CBDC is going to generate uh, innovation. 
We can also speak about cross-border payments. It may be easier and faster to make cross-border payments with CBDC than it is with uh, commercial bank deposits. So, so that's on the retail side. On the wholesale side, I, I think we're at a stage that is more exploratory right now. But we can imagine CBDC playing an important role in a digital world of tomorrow where uh, assets might be tokenized or put on blockchains, where money may be tokenized, put on blockchains, so banks may issue tokenized versions of their deposits. And in this world, there may be the need for a settlement asset that is also native to these new technologies. And that settlement asset could be CBDC. With all these benefits, is this or are these the reason why there was a sudden interest in CBDCs, unlike before? Uh, yeah, it's very interesting to, to look at the history of interest in CBDC. So in 2016 or so, when we started to write about this, there was relatively little interest. And uh, people were surprised that the IMF was uh, getting into this topic. In 2018, we put out a paper on CBDC and interest was starting to grow. But really interest picked up when the famous Facebook and Libra announcement came about. I believe that was uh, June 2019. Uh, And then some big countries started to make headway in exploring CBDC, including China, for instance. Uh, And interest has been growing ever since, really at an exponential rate. And we look around the world and we see that most of our member countries are investigating in one way or another CBDCs. Some are much more advanced. They are piloting. Uh, They may have issued CBDC. Not a lot, but a few are. Others are very actively investigating. They've put up teams to do this. And others are just starting and we're helping. So the IMF has an extensive program of capacity development to help countries get up to speed uh, in their exploration of CBDCs. Again, I'd like to emphasize that countries are interested in CBDC for a variety of reasons. There's not just one reason why countries get uh, into this. And so I I listed some of the reasons earlier, and and these really vary a lot by country. Some are really focused on financial inclusion. Others have multiple islands, and servicing these by bringing cash is very expensive. So they would prefer to do this digitally with CBDC. Others are more involved, interested in innovation. Others are more focused on resiliency and discipline in the market. There are all sorts of reasons and different countries are interested in different objectives. But has the BSP reached out to the IMF regarding um, asking for any help in this regard? So, so we work with uh, central banks around the world. Our capacity development program is open to any of our members. Uh, we uh, decide to work with countries on the basis of their interests, of their needs. We try to be very uh, even-handed in working with countries around the world. And uh, we work with countries at different levels. Sometimes we work bilaterally. So we will engage with one country, go very deeply into a topic, bring a team of experts to the country. Sometimes we work more multilaterally. So we will establish a regional training workshop. Uh, We might uh, facilitate peer-to-peer learning between countries. This is a really fast-moving space, and it's important that countries learn from each other. uh, And we are there to facilitate that. So we we don't discuss uh, specific interactions with countries unless we uh, publish reports uh, in agreement with the country authorities. But we're very active around the world. You mentioned earlier there are issues with um, some other countries. Can you talk more about the issues that they they encountered or any risk um, trying to launch these um, digital currencies? 
You asked me about the benefits and we spoke about benefits, but it's important not to lose track of the fact that there are risks also. And not just risks, but challenges. So the risks are, for instance, to financial disintermediation. What does that mean? It means that you and I have a bank account and we keep our deposits there. And by virtue of holding those deposits, we fund the bank. And the bank, with that money, is able to lend and is serving some social function. We keep our money in the bank because it helps us make payments and because it stores money safely for us. But if there is an alternative that allows us to make payments perhaps even more easily, and that is perhaps even safer as a store of value, we might switch to that. And CBDC might well be that form of money that is just as liquid and convenient for make, to make payments, perhaps more so, and just as safe, perhaps more so. So if that's the case, people may move their money out of the banks into CBDC. That would cut back on bank funding and would cut back on the bank's ability to provide credit to the economy. That is a problem. Of course, it's, it's especially a problem if it happens very quickly. If it happens more slowly, banks will adapt. Central banks are not there to necessarily help preserve a business model for banks. Banks will adapt to the current conditions. But it's important that central banks are attentive to this and manage these risks carefully. It's possible to do so. You can set limits on how much people can hold in their CBDC wallets, or you can have fees on wallet transactions if you hold above a certain level. So there are ways to address these risks, but it's important to be mindful of them. Uh, there are challenges, I said also, that, uh, such as building enough capacity uh, to do this. Uh, CBDC is new. It involves new technologies. It also involves a type of work that central banks are not necessarily used to, uh, which is building products that will eventually be used directly by the, the households and firms. It means building products whose technology is evolving rapidly, so needing to remain always on the frontier. Those are all things that are difficult, certainly not impossible, uh, but just a little different. And so central banks need to central banks that are serious about doing, deploying, uh, and testing CBDC need to understand these challenges and need to tool up in order to deliver. And, and that's just a little complicated to do, but not certainly not beyond the reach of central banks. So for my last question on the topic, what is your outlook for CBDCs? Or is it possible to for many central banks to launch or deploy digital currencies this year or for the next five years, 10 years? Well, that's a very difficult question to, to predict the future. And whatever prediction people make, including me, is not going to hold true probably. But what we do see is that things are moving fast and faster because as soon as you get the critical mass of central banks exploring this, building technology, learning lessons, um, so central banks help each other and they feed off each other. And so the, the rate of learning and development uh, increases. It's also uh, true that there are some central banks, I think, that will not deploy a retail version of CBDC uh, because they have very efficient payment systems, because they have uh, very widespread adoption of bank deposits. And some of those countries, they may decide to regulate the private sector carefully uh, so that new solutions can be and safe uh, solutions can be deployed. And perhaps the public sector will decide not to step in. In other countries, including those that share those characteristics, the central bank may decide to step in. Why? Because even in very advanced economies that are very efficient, well, we carry a $20 bill in our pocket just in case. 
We like the safety of doing so. We like as consumers to have a choice of different forms of money to pay. And we may like to still have that $20 bill in our pocket in the future, except that it'll be on our phone as opposed to in our, in our uh, leather wallet. So different countries are going to take different decisions on retail CBDC and on wholesale CBDC. I can tell you that from these meetings uh, here in Washington, D.C. in April 2023, we've seen a a strong pickup in the interest of countries in wholesale CBDC. Again, this is more exploratory, but countries are starting to explore this space to get ready for what the world of tomorrow may require, and they're starting to tool up. Well, on the topic of cross-border payments you mentioned earlier, BSP Governor Felipe Medalla said that cross-border payments in the Philippines may happen in two to three years because of its partnership with other central banks in ASEAN um, through the Nexus project of the VIS. So what are your thoughts on this? Is this possible or what are the benefits again? Yes, not only is this possible, but it's very positive. It's a very positive uh, transformation, one that I applaud and admire. I think uh, you have a governor who is very forward-looking, who is uh, very careful in his decisions, very visionary uh, at the same time. And uh, the link that the Central Bank of the Philippines and other central banks have decided to put in place is one that should decrease the costs of cross-border payments significantly and one that should increase the speed of cross-border payments significantly. Essentially, what we're talking about here is a link between existing domestic fast payment systems. So these are backbones, infrastructure that the central banks put into place to allow for very fast and very cheap payments between domestic banks. So when you go to buy a book down the street and you pay the vendor, the money will be transferred from your bank to the vendor's bank immediately, very safely in so-called central bank money. So there's going to be an exchange uh, between banks of central bank money. That is what we call fast payment systems. Now, uh, the Nexus project and and other such links between countries tend to bridge these fast payment systems so that instead of paying the merchant down the street, you can pay your friend in, say, Thailand, Indonesia, Singapore, uh, etc. And the feasibility has been demonstrated. uh, And now it's a question of scaling it up and including uh, at least a core set of countries in these links and then potentially scaling this up. There's a lot of interest in these uh, links between fast payment systems, um, and it's a very, very good development. I should say that many countries don't have fast payment systems, uh, and so they're trying to set them up. And again, the IMF and the World Bank can help with their capacity development. But it's also important to think about other solutions for those countries uh, and other solutions perhaps for the future, because costs will come down, but may not come down quite enough. So we'll have to do more in order to get costs down to very low levels for cross-border payments. For the sake of our interview, can I ask again, there are these benefits, but what are the risks to cross-border payments? Yeah, so when we take a step back and we think about improving the speed, the costs, the transparency, the access to cross-border payments, what we're really doing is removing frictions, removing uh, uh, roadblocks and challenges to cross-border payments. And that's great. We want to do that. Uh, But of course, we need to be mindful that uh, since it'll be easier for you to send money abroad, it may be easier for you to hold foreign currencies as well. And in countries with uh, high inflation, perhaps unstable or volatile exchange rates, that might induce greater currency substitution, essentially households and firms deciding to hold foreign currency. 
uh, in large amounts. That undermines the efficiency of monetary policy. It undermines the ability of the central bank to act as a lender of last resort because users, uh, households, and firms are dealing in a foreign currency, which is not controlled by the central bank. Um, so we want to make sure that that doesn't uh, happen, on, that doesn't become widespread, let's say. And there are means for countries to address this. Of course, the first line of defense is for countries to improve their macroeconomic policies in order to instill greater trust in their institutions and in the stability of their currency. But that takes time. And in the interim, countries may be considering capital flow management measures, for instance, to manage the flows between them in foreign currency. But if ever these payment links are successful and one person can pay to another country abroad, can criminals use this to launder money? Yes, of course. That's a, a, a big, and thank you for asking that, but it allows us to circle back to, to the first question you asked about how, what is CBDC? And I mentioned that CBDC was a digital version of the notes and coins that we traditionally hold, with the difference that it's not entirely anonymous. And the level to which a digital form of money is anonymous is, of course, directly related to the risks of money laundering, of criminal activity, of tax evasion, et cetera, et cetera. So the trick is offering sufficient privacy so that I can buy a present for my wife without her knowing and offering not enough anonymity to induce criminals to use that means of payment. So how do you do that? One way to do that is to have so-called tiered wallets. So on your phone, you might have two wallets, one that requires relatively low levels of information from you. So uh, in terms of your identity, in terms of your background, in terms of the transactions that you're doing. So that wallet allows you to make transactions relatively anonymously. But you can only pay, uh, you can only transact in low amounts. You can only hold low amounts of currency on that wallet, maybe $50 per day. And then you have another wallet where uh, the level of information is very high. So it knows everything about you, who you are, where you come from, what transactions you're doing. And with that wallet, you can make any type of transaction, any, any amount of transaction. So that tiered approach, which some countries are using, are allowing them to, to segment the markets, give you enough privacy to make that present to a friend and not give criminals enough anonymity for them to engage in criminal activity. And the last question. So given that these are, these are very um, real initiatives that are happening across countries, what is your outlook then for digital payments and financial transactions? We used to think that all of this would happen in the future, but guess what? The future is here. We have stepped into this world already. The world is moving fast. And there is no question that digitalization will become widespread in the world of payments and in the world of finance. You might argue that a lot of money is already digital, but we're talking about a different level of digitalization that allows much wider access, that allows a much lower cost of transactions, that allows a certain level of programmability of transactions that allows integration between money and uh, securities and financial assets, that allows uh, countries and markets to be more integrated with one another. Uh, so I think the implications of this are macro-critical. Uh, they're global. The private sector is moving rapidly in this space. 
and is requiring clear regulation, clear supervision, clear rules of the game so that they know where to invest. And the public sector needs to ramp up its infrastructure for it to serve uh, uh, the purpose of providing stability and interoperability in the world, in the digital world of tomorrow. If consumers find a more convenient payment method, such as using CBDCs, they might opt not to deposit money in banks. Mr. Mancini Grifoli says that central banks should be attentive to this risk and the implications of such risks, even as countries like the Philippines test its use. This has been another episode of B-Side. Subscribe now and enjoy a new episode every week.